Christ, the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Six days after Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. story of the transfiguration is a really important one in our gospel tradition. It appears in three of the four gospels uh, who recorded in pretty similar ways, though with some uh, important differences in details. It's important in the gospel tradition. It's also important in the church year as well. We actually get this transfiguration story twice each year during the church year. It's always the gospel story on the Sunday before the beginning of Lent, which is today, the last Sunday in Epiphany. And it's always uh, the gospel story on the Feast of the Transfiguration, which is always August 6th. And this feast, the fixed feast of the Transfiguration on August 6th, is actually one of the most ancient feasts in the church it's one of the, uh, in the Eastern Church particularly, it's one of the 12 big feasts that is celebrated. It goes back to the late 4th century. So we get, we, uh, more than some of the other stories, we get to hear this transfiguration story uh, in the life of the church. And ironically, um, in light of that, it's kind of a hard story to talk about. So it's kind of tough that we get it more often than some other ones. Like Peter in the story, we may find ourselves rather stupefied by what we've just heard or by what Peter just saw. And we might be filled with awe, which I think of as a combination of uh, joy and fear, with perhaps more of an emphasis on fear. Or we may find ourselves totally lacking in any kind of useful frame of reference, like, what was that about? I have nothing in my experience to compare 
with that. Or like Peter, or and like Peter, we may find ourselves initially scrambling to find something coherent to say in response. And like Peter, we may find that whatever we have to say or think is sadly inadequate to the event. I'm reminded in this, uh, in this vein of a story that the preacher and author Frederick Beekner tells about a day uh, during his stint as a high school teacher at Phillips Exeter Academy in the 60s. Back then, they uh, had classes uh, six days a week from eight to five. Actually, they still do, as far as I know. I taught there for a couple of years in the, in the 90s, and class started at eight, and it was over at five or 5.30 just before dinner. And so they had classes as the sun was going down. And Beekner describes one of these classes in the, in the 60s, as uh, uh, the sun is going down, it's around 5 or so, 4.30 or 5, and there's uh, a silence in the room. And he doesn't, he doesn't say whether it's because the boys hadn't done their reading or whether there's some, uh, you know, really important thing that's about to be said. He doesn't say, but there's this silence in the room. And the sun is going down and this glow spreads through the room and nobody says anything. And Beekner doesn't say anything. He just lets the moment go on and on. And then class is over. And he said it was the best class he ever taught. <laughs> Silence in the face of mystery is sometimes the way to go. Moments of transfiguration are often ones that are beyond words, yet which are so powerful that we try to capture them anyway as a way perhaps to contain God, to control God, or perhaps to reproduce the experience at another time, to try and put God in a box that we can return to on our own schedule. And Peter, I think, tries to do this by offering to build dwellings for the holy people that appear in this, in this scene along with Jesus. He's trying to capture this and uh, hold on to the moment. Now, to be sure, to be sure, there is nothing wrong with that desire. Memories of powerful experiences of God serve as great sources of strength. There's a reason that the church has preserved this particular story. And in fact, there's a reason that the church has preserved Scripture. Scripture is, among other things, a record of the memories that the people of God have had in their experiences of God to be returned to over and over again as source of strength and hope and encouragement. So there's nothing wrong with Peter's desire to kind of hold on to this and build an edifice around it, if you will. But there also seems to be a time for us just to be quiet when our attempts to reveal or explain get in the way of God's work. They're simply attempts to try to tame an untamable God. I was reminded recently of how much we rely on predictable ways of experiencing God. Again, not that this is wrong, because it's not. It's just that it limits us. It limits the way that we can perceive God at work in our surroundings. Two weeks ago, 
a couple of uh, a group of young people, more than a couple actually. We had probably 10 or 12 young people from the confirmation class and from the right 13 groups went with adult men- mentors to worship with the congregation of Common Cathedral on the Boston Common. You probably remember that that day our guest preacher was Kathy McAdams, who's the executive director of Ecclesia Ministries and Common Cathedral. And she brought with her uh, Donald Hooks, one of the parishioners there in that congregation. The night before, uh, we had made uh, sandwiches and put together a variety of food to take down with us. And uh, so after church on that Sunday, we took the food we'd made the previous uh, Saturday night and went down to worship with the people of Common Cathedral. And then after that, we ate lunch with them, served them lunch on the common. After having a Eucharist with prayers and sermon and uh, the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. Well, afterwards, uh, Kathy gathered us uh, from our shivering selves. It was a wonderful reminder of what many people experience as part of their daily life uh, as homeless people. She took us into um, the vestibule of the cathedral there, which is right across from Brewer's Fountain, where the congregation meets every Sunday. And she uh, gathered us together for a little theological reflection, which is a wonderful, which she is wonderful at. And one of the questions, she asked us a number of questions, you know, what did it feel like to be there today? What did it, um, what did you see? What, was, what scared you? What, uh, how did you uh, feel, how do you feel changed by what you saw? One of the great questions she asked us was, what did you learn about God here today? What did you learn about God here today? And one of our young people piped up, it was actually Dee McKay. He was at the 8 o'clock service, so I, could, I was able to tease him a little bit about this. Dima piped up and said, in response to that question, what did you learn about God today? He said, well, I learned that God doesn't have to stay inside the church building. God was out here, outside, with us, as we worshipped. I learned that God doesn't have to stay in a building. That God was outside, here with us, as we worshipped with these people. And I thought, wow. Like many of us, this young person had come in some significant way to think that God could only be met in a special place, in a special building, at a special time. But thanks to the power of God and the openness of this young person, it was learned that God is not to be contained in that way. It was an amazing moment to watch this kind of light bulb go off in this young person's head and then to see the kind of nods of uh, acknowledgement. Dima had realized in a feeling way, in an experiential way, that God is not to be contained in our little booths, in the little dwellings that we like to erect around him. As we prepare for Lent, I think it's a good idea to keep these kind of two paradoxical ideas in mind. One is, do draw on the known 
predictable, powerful, um, surefire, if there is such a thing, memories and experiences of God to give you strength and hope and encouragement. Go to that well. We need to go to that well, particularly uh, in the church year as we uh, encounter Lent, which is a time, a tougher time for many of us in our spiritual lives, time of self-examination, time of looking at the places where we're challenged, where we need to grow as individuals, as communities, as nations even. Draw on those places where, you know, I'm pretty sure I can meet God here, and I need that. But also, look for God in places where you don't expect to find God. Be open to those places where, boy, I'm really not sure I'm going to see God here, but boy, do I need to. Those places where, um, like on the common, where that young man was surprised to find God, where God, in his experience, up to that point, he had not expected to find God. Look for, look for the Lord outside of the dwellings, outside of the boxes, outside of the neat little packages that we try to keep God in. And I think if we are able to do those things, not just in Lent, but through the course of our Christian lives, we'll find ourselves drawing closer to that untamable God who yet desires to be as close to us as our own heartbeat. And if we only increase our awareness, we find that God is, in fact, as near as our heartbeat. Amen.